This episode contains some strong language. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Mind Affinity podcast. Today, I'm chatting with John Davis of Blackfire Films, and we're going to be talking about, well, we might talk about filming, and we're going to talk about autism a bit as well. So stay tuned after this. The mind is capable of amazing things, and yet so many people use that immense power to hold themselves back. Imagine what you could achieve harnessing that power and using it to push yourself forward. This is the Mind Affinity Podcast, the place for advice and inspiration to help you empower yourself. John, hi. Hello. Thanks for coming on. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I love the, the shocked look as if you weren't expecting me to say hi. As if I haven't been here for the last half hour talking crap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. For the listeners out there, tell me a little bit about who you are and why you decided it was a good idea to come and chat with me today. Um, well, I, I heard there was loads of money and it turns out I wasn't true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's loads of money in podcasts and you should do it. I didn't quite get the, the detail on how, so so there you go. Um, right, who am I? I am John. I am a 40-year-old something, no, 48-year-old, nearly 50. Oh, Christ. Um, <laughs> what do I do? I do filming. I do, I've had a career that's gone from fixing aeroplanes to sound design to filming to everything else. Um, I'm a parent with kids who send me up the wall and I know quite far too much about dogs. So I don't know, what do you want to go into? I mean, I, I also I recently, uh, probably a few years ago now, but I kind of discovered as an adult I was autistic and that put an awful lot of focus on my life that suddenly made things make sense. So um, I'm happy to go with whatever aspect in that mishmash of God knows what the hell I was up to, you want to dig into. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely circle back to the autism. I work with a lot of clients who are, who are on the spectrum, and I, I love it. It's it's a real challenge in places, mm. for sure. It, it definitely requires a slightly different approach and and, and a, a, a keen awareness, I guess, uh, compared to neurotypical clients. But... Um, yeah, it's fun. It's, 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 it's a difficult term. I think the first thing is like when you try and define, when someone says, oh, I'm on the spectrum, I think this is one of the hardest parts of it is that straight away that puts people in this mindset of autism is from zero to rain man. Yes. You know, it's like, it's just like you're either not autistic or you're really autistic. Whereas autism is more like, I don't know if the analogy works for most listeners, but if you think of like the colour picker things you get on web pages or on Photoshop and that kind of thing, where it's like a, you know, it's not like a scale of colour, it's like a big circle. And if you think of autism as I realise I'm waving my hands around and making all these gestures to help emphasize I don't, the I don't think there's a sing- format, you know? I don't think there's a single podcast episode that goes by where I don't do air quotes or something. Yeah, yeah, something non visual. You have to just say air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, so if you think of it like that, it's like it, there's no two autistic people who are the same. It's not like some kind of illness where there are a set number of symptoms uh, that define that person. Um, and also have to be careful of not calling it dis- disorder now because now apparently you're supposed to call it ASC, I think it is, with autism spectrum condition as opposed to disorder. Because disorder implies it's a negative thing, and it really is. But <laughs> you know, it I doesn't saw, have to be. I, I, saw, I saw someone the other... So my, my niece uh, says uh, it's her superpower... And I think mm. that's beautiful, especially for her, because she certainly has super hearing. It's amazing the sounds yeah. that she can pick out that no one, no one else could. Um, but then I, I saw someone the other day say, 
uh, I saw this T-shirt the other day. He was a, he was a stand-up comedian who also has autism, uh, and he said I saw this T-shirt the other day that said autism's not a disability; it's a superpower. And he said, "No, it's not. No, uh, it's definitely not a superpower for me personally." Um, but well, I think I think it's both a superpower and it's a massive anchor that hangs around your neck. It's just mm-hmm. that's the thing. It, it's it gives you some great gifts, but it doesn't have, like they're not gifts. This is the thing, see, people say, oh, it gives you gifts, but it doesn't give you gifts. It gives you stuff and it makes you pay for it like Tesco, you know. It's like <laughs> you, you don't get any of it for free, but you do get some really cool stuff. I mean, I'll go into that in a bit, but I'll just kind of finish my point because I'm a nightmare for going off on tangents, which is quite an autistic trait. Well, it's it's but, also very common for my podcast, so good. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> so, so if you think of this thing as like a, a, like a wheel, so you start as somebody neurotypical kind of is a dot in the middle that kind of has a bit of everything when you go around the wheel. So, like, imagine the bottom corner of the wheel is interpersonal skills, the top of the wheel is concentration, another bit of the wheel is acuity, like your sensory acuity, that kind of thing. So your average autistic person is diagnosed because they have spikes going into various different bits of this wheel, but other areas might be perfectly normal. So some people are very, like, socially capable, but at the same time, they have real bad hyperacuity, say, for audio. I mean, that's something I, I have, which that's a really good example of a gift and a, that you pay for. So I've, I made a like, 15, 16 year career out of being a sound designer because I have a particular ability with sound that I didn't realise most people don't have. Like I can really define sound and also I have a certain amount of synesthesia, which means that when I close my eyes and listen to something, it's not like I get pictures, but I see like a big pattern and I hear things and they, they get placed within the pattern. So when I go to then try and recreate that sound, there's loads of detail in there that I can then add to it. And then people say, oh, wow, that, that really does sound like that thing you're recreating. Because I can hear all the stuff that most people just filter out. Because like when you're having a conversation, you filter out the background noise and focus on the person you're talking to. Now, the way it works in that you pay for it is that it doesn't turn off. So if I go into a pub and I'm trying to have a conversation with somebody, they get weirded out that I'm staring at their lips because I'm lip reading. And the only reason I'm lip reading is because not because I can actually tell what the patterns are, but because it helps me pick out that one noise out of all the other noises that are happening and attach it to something so that I can try and concentrate on that noise. Hmm. But I can't block out the radiator that's whistling and I can't block out the woman that's like banging on about anti-flow and all the rest of it. <laughs> and I can't cut out the jukebox that's got like a skip on the CD that's annoying. You know, and all the other stuff that most people just shut out, I can't shut it out. So on the one hand, it's a gift because I can, I, yeah, I did use that. I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm three rafters down the line of an audio career. So it's not like I didn't do fairly well at it. And it's because of that, because of that ability to hear things that most people don't. But then it comes at that price of, because my senses are trying to process every single sound I hear always, and I can't shut it off, my brain, it's like, it's like if you run your computer and you try and run all the processes all the time, your computer gets too hot and then it melts and shuts down. And that's what happens when you're autistic. Your brain is trying to do everything. And then you hit that point where you can't process the information as fast as it's coming in and you start to panic, you get anxiety and all the rest of it, and then you melt down like a grown-up does as you start becoming a grumpy dickhead and you just leave, you know, bleep it out later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that's the thing, that, that, and that's why like, as grown-ups when you have meltdowns, they're not as obvious because usually people get overloaded and shut down. Hmm. And as kids, they get overloaded and they start crying out for help. And that's why it's, you know, it's two different things. But 
But that's how, like, when people say, oh, but you get so many gifts, it's like, these did not come for free. It's like telling me I had free shoes, you know, these shoes were a gift from Amazon. No, I had to give Amazon 75 quid, you know. It's like, they didn't, they didn't just turn up here, and it's the same with autism. I have this thing that meant I've had a career. I'm now doing a really good business running a film company because I have that ability to hyper-focus on a task, and I have that attention to detail that... that is quite unique to me that I, I just assumed everyone has but I didn't realize until you work with other people and they start going like oh well, well, well done for noticing that and you're like but isn't it obvious and it yeah so so I definitely got something out of it but I had to pay for it you know being autistic is hard on the soul absolutely <laughs> so I I think there's there are mirrors of that and and things that neurotypical people can take from that as well so for example when you spoke about how uh they're gifts, but you have you pay for them. Mm. Um, I, I I think there's there's a tendency that we have to look at our traits as positive or negative things, yeah. and I think that's true whether it's autism or, or neurotypical traits. They are just tendencies and how we function um, mm. to to various different degrees and extents. Absolutely. So a really simple example of this would be, uh, I used to be, I still am, um, but not as bad. I used to be a pedant. I was so pedantic <laughs> about correcting other people's language. Yeah. Why? Well, in part, because I'm a bit of an arsehole. Um, <laughs> in all honesty, there was a time where a big part of the reason why I did that was because I wanted to feel superior by being right and pointing out that someone else was wrong. I'm not proud of that. I don't do it for that reason anymore, but I absolutely did. And that's just how I learned when I was growing up for various reasons that I won't go into right now. Um, so... So that, you know, you could look at that and go, well, that's a really negative trait. Yes, absolutely. In how it was expressed in those moments, that was probably quite a negative thing. It didn't leave people feeling good and it didn't help me in any way. But at the yeah. same time, that attention to detail makes me the therapist that I am today. Yeah, to be oh, able yeah. to yeah. hear what people are communicating rather than what they think they're saying. To be able to be over-analytical almost of my own choice of words when I'm working with a client. Mm. These things are so important. Mm. So there, there's a, a light side and a dark side, if you like, to everything. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that, like, if anyone looks at themselves and doesn't realise the things that makes them a dickhead, then they're not looked very carefully yes. because everybody's a dickhead. And I don't mean that to be mean or <laughs> negative about it, but the fact is nobody can look at themselves without finding something that they could probably work on. And I'm reluctant to use the word fault hmm. because they're not always things that are outwardly affect other people and sometimes they just affect yourself or whatever. But nobody can look at themselves and not go, do you know what, maybe I'm just too polite or giving or, you know, it would sound like positive things, but sometimes they can be bad if they become a walkover. Or you get taken advantage of too often, or you feel so. So sometimes it's about like not being a dickhead to yourself. You know, it's about you're gonna have great fun with the swear filter later. <laughs> oh, that's fine. <laughs> but, I'm just gonna click the button and warn everyone that there's bad language on this. It's much better that way. Um, but but that's the thing is that you know like until you can look at yourself and your own faults and work on that, then how are you supposed to help other people? And that's a great example saying that like you know you realise that you're being pedantic, and then you realise who is this serving? And then and that helps you kind of figure out, well, what about other negative things, people? Maybe you need to look at them and say, well, you do this thing, and then who is that serving? You know, you might think in the short term it makes you feel better about yourself, 
you know, it's like being addicted to social media and likes and all that kind of thing. Maybe in the short term you get a little endorphin rush out of it, but who is it serving in the long term? You're sacrificing things so that you can get your Instagram account up or whatever, you know, whatever it is. A million different things that people do, but we're very bad for going for short-term gain instead of, like, looking at long-term benefits, which, you know, apparently crows can do this. So if crows can work out that sometimes <laughs> it's better to just pass up on the short-term gain and get something good down the line, then can we try and not be further down the evolutionary scale than crows? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, I think that starts with acknowledging and accepting that that, that urge, tendency and desire is there. Yeah. Like, so often we, we don't want to admit that we're fallible. We, don't, we see it as admitting weakness when we acknowledge things yeah. like, you know, I have a, an impulsive drive to want to do this in this moment. Um, that's not yeah. a bad thing. No, Acknowledging not. it allows you to then make a choice about what you do yeah. with that. Yeah. Impulse control is a funny one because we, we do all have various things because everyone thinks that oh well you know i've never like gambled and it's like yeah but i bet there's something else that you do that you know you do because you go oh i just fancy a bag of teasers you know or whatever it is i mean i'm terrible for that i walk into a shop to get milk and i come out i've got a bag of ravels and i'm like bugger i forgot the milk (laughs) (laughs) but it's because i have terrible impulse control over you know getting sweet stuff but yeah it it is what it is you know that's just just human nature but yeah, um, I think one of the things that that I've found with autism that, that has become a benefit is that it made me realise that when you're autistic, you tend to be just quite... I mean, I, I say t- you tend to be, but like it may not be true for everybody who's autistic. It probably isn't, but I found that I share this trait with a lot of people I talk to who have autism, and generally people who have that kind of Asperger's-type autism which I, I reluctantly say because I don't like using the term Asperger's because Asperger was a Nazi. And I don't yes, mean like and they, they, they don't use that label anymore anyway, up, do they? Yeah, no, they don't use it now. He was a paid up member of the Nazi party, so let's not give him a place in history. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that thing of that, but that Asperger's type autism where it's quite high functioning, one of the things that I get with a lot of people like that is that there is a sense of realism about themselves and about the world that people take as negativity mm. because... A lot of people who are neurotypical seem to need a lot more, um, let's just say, mental hugs than yeah. people who are autistic do. You know, if you say to me, you know, you're a crap driver, but you're ex- extremely good with a cameraman, somebody else might say, oh, well, you know, like, oh, no, you're not that bad of a driver. Like, I need reassurance. If I know I'm a crap driver, then I'll be like, yeah, okay, well, I'm not very good at that. So I'm not going to worry about the fact I'm not very good at that. I'm going to accept that that's part of who I am and then, you know, adjust my life accordingly. I'm trying to think of an actual relevant example because I'm fine at driving. But yeah. <laughs> so, so here's a question then, um, because I, I like this line of thought. Something thought. you said earlier was uh, it, it, it's really good to identify where your weak points are so that you can improve and grow. Oh, right? you mean about knowing you're an arsehole? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you... Yeah, well, let's bring that in as well, because that, that was kind of three points, actually. Oh, so sorry. Yeah. No, that's right. So you said, um, I don't remember your exact wording now, but you were talking about how um, we all have things that we're not good yeah, at, yeah, right? Yeah. We all have weaknesses, or, or, but you didn't want to call them a weakness. You know, there's, we all have things that make yeah. us a, a bit of a dickhead. Yeah, um, so I think that's yeah, what I said. That was it. Um, <laughs> so 
And and you said that it's important to identify and acknowledge and work on those things, yeah. right? To yeah. not be a dickhead, which is great. You've also just said, and I agree with both of these points, that sometimes you just need to accept that I'm not very good at that. Yeah, yeah. So that yeah. you can focus on what you are good at and improve on it, rather yeah. than focusing on the things you can't do very well. How do you recognise and acknowledge the difference between something that you want to work on and that's worth putting that effort into to improve and something to accept that you're just not very good at that and either outsource it or, or um, forget about it? All right, it's going to be a massive answer and I'll try and make it as not massive as I can. <laughs> so I think the, the point is is that, like I go back to this thing of like being realistic, there is a very clear definition in my mind between things that are functional and things that are, I think for want of a better word, let's say emotional, mm-hmm. right? There is a big thing that people say, oh, well, autistic people lack empathy. We don't lack empathy. We can be incredibly empathic. The problem is that we lack the ability to interpret micro-communications and things like that in the moment. So the fact is that I could have a conversation, say, with you, and then much later replay the conversation, work it out, and then go, oh, fuck, I'm massively insensitive. You, you know, like... you. Your, your mum's been in hospital and I've just been like going on about like how like some, you know said something massively insensitive about that and not realised it at the time and it's like that's the type of empathy that you have quite often when you're autistic is that you tend to not realise until too far afterwards why that person might have been really offended or upset or hurt their feelings or done whatever and at the time you were just being really practical and realistic and whatever else and that's the stuff where you go I need to work on that or I need to apologise, or I need to do whatever, you know. And I don't know whether it is a truism or it's just something that people say about people who are autistic, but you tend to have quite a much more black and white um, morality. Like things are, you know, I understand the world is full of grace, but you tend to be like, there is a line, and once it crosses that line, no, that's wrong. Or no, you need to do this to think of yourself as having done what is your moral duty or whatever else. And... It tends to be quite black and white because you need clear rules to be able to say, okay, right, if I do that, I'm being an asshole to that person and that's not fair. That's not fair on them and it's going to happen because of this. Okay, so I need to work out how I need to engineer my own behaviour and action in that situation in future to avoid this happening because it's not fair. And I know that if X, Y, Z happens, I may react in X, you know, Z way, whatever, run out of letters. <laughs> but, but, you know, I mean, right, just make up some new ones. When, when, yeah, when I get to Alpha Gamma Beta, <laughs> no, but you know that when certain circumstance happens, it might cause you to have a meltdown or whatever else, like an autistic meltdown. And you need to know that there, are, there has to be either a plan of how you fix that afterwards or how you avoid getting into it in the first place because you owe it to that person not to just barrel through life going, well, it's not my fault, I'm autistic, so, you know, if, if this happened and I melted down, you can't blame me for that, because I, I, I know a lot of things that trigger me, so so I need to, like, work on that, and it's like, uh, I know it's a really weird example, but, like, I was in the park a few weeks ago, and I'd been having a bit of a bad day, I was feeling overloaded, and I was trying to train the dog, and somebody else had their dog off lead, and their dog was just harassing my dog. Not in a bad way. It just wanted to come over and say hello. But my brain was like, I'm trying to train the dog. I'm trying to get into Walter Hill. You're not helping. I'm trying to clearly send non-verbal communication that this is not helping. And then 
finally this person came over and went, oh, don't worry, he's all friendly. And I blew up on him because I was just like, the fuck? You know, I am like clearly trying to train the dog here. Your dog's off lead. You don't know if my dog is nervous. You don't know if he's got some kind of aggression issue. You don't know if, you know, you could be making my, my life much worse because you don't know anything about my dog and I've clearly got him on a lead. So I'm trying to avoid interaction. And like, yeah, I just went off on one. I mean, kind of fair in that they were out of line. You know, they, they shouldn't be doing that, but not fair in that I shouldn't have had a meltdown and just like started shouting at him in the park. So then I went after him afterwards, like I said, went after him. I don't mean, <laughs> no, but I like they were still in the park walking their dog further on. And I went over to him and I said, I'm really sorry, I just blew up at you. I've had a bad day, it's totally out of line. And just apologize because I know that if I have an autistic meltdown, then I have a moral duty to not just leave someone else to have to pick up the pieces of that or have to deal with that without having any kind of like. Yeah, because otherwise they go away. I ruin their day. They feel worse. They go and like, you know, ruin someone else. else's day. And it's all okay, so. I do really believe in this whole knock-on effect thing. Mm. And like for me, the only solution to that is I have to go over and apologise. So at least they might go away and, and go away and feeling more positive, like feeling more like, you know, because actually when when I went over and had a conversation with him, we did have a good chat about it, and it was really it became a very friendly chat and it was really positive and it had a positive outcome. Do you know, in my experience, that's so often the case when you go and you have those difficult conversations. They're difficult to initiate. But I don't care, you know. I'm, but they are so powerful and, and most of the time when you actually just start one of those conversations, it, it resolves in a much more positive way. Yeah. I like, so the expression there, uh, you don't know my dog. I know you were talking very specifically uh, yeah, about yeah, yeah, that yeah. Um, example, but... I just think that's a wonderful expression. We all have. <laughs> yeah, you don't know my dog. We all have yeah, yeah, our, yeah. our own dogs. She didn't right? come with malicious intent. She, her dog wasn't yeah. causing problems. She thought, my dog's friendly, so everything's fine. But she didn't know my dog. Yeah. My dog's fine, but she didn't know that. She didn't know that it wasn't aggressive. She didn't know that it wasn't nervous. Or, you know. And people that's often refer <laughs> to uh, like depression as the, yeah, the yeah, a black, black dog, dog, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it kind of occurs to me that you know, we all have people's. We, we all have our own internalized view of things and way of yeah. doing things. Worst thing which you is, say to someone depressed is cheer up. Yes, yeah, absolutely. worst thing ever. Yeah. You know, and like sometimes what you need to say is stay in bed. I'll sort everything out today. Yeah. Oh, you know, cheer up! Is it that easy? If I'd yeah. known it was that easy, oh, I would have just fuck. done that. <laughs> I forgot to smile this morning. You know? <laughs> but yeah, we we do. We all have our own dog, yeah, and yeah. you don't just because you know the person. Because even if I know you, John, that doesn't mean I know your dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just because you're a, or I see you as, or which is also going to just be my interpretation yeah, no, rather than the reality. But I see you as this kind of person, you know, nice, friendly, approachable, whatever. That still doesn't mean that I know your dog, yeah. and your dog may well be nervous or uncomfortable and yeah. around well, new people, or just have an issue with beards or whatever it might be. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so our internal um, experiences and, and who we are based on everything we've experienced through our lives. Yeah, yeah. There may well be something that I've done that suddenly triggers your your dog, you know, your yeah, internal yeah. thing to come out and react in or a way. That might exactly. not be a logical John reaction, but it's your dog yeah, that's kicking yeah. off and, and has picked up so on I'm something. I'm not using that. You don't yeah. know my dog. Oh, yeah. I like that. I, I think, think we've we, we'll have to get it printed on T-shirts. Yeah. Um, I mean, as, as an example of it, like because this is the thing, with, again, with autism, 
there's a tendency to be very black and white. Like, you know, like the, this whole sunflower, I don't know why I'm showing you because it's an audio, but this whole sunflower thing, you know, like the sunflower lanyards. Before the current situation, so I'm not going to say it in case you have to get your podcast flagged, but before all this like lockdown stuff, nobody hardly knew what it was about. Like I used to use one because when you're, when you have autism, airports are a terrible experience. Yeah. They're horrific to get through. And when you have, when you use the system, they just let you go to the front of the queue, which sounds like I'm just using the queue jumping excuse. <laughs> totally am, but that's coincidental. But it's a wider than that. It's supposed to recognize hidden disability, which is fine. At the moment, because people realize that if they get one, then they can get out of wearing a mask, suddenly everyone and his dog seems to have a hidden disability. And part of the reason that I'm wearing them now is because I wear it and I wear a mask, because even though I'm asthmatic and autistic, and technically would be exempt, I'm like, yeah, but I only have to wear it to spend time in Tesco, or I have to wear it for a day sometimes when I'm shot on the shoot. Most of my life, I don't have to wear one. So if it makes people feel better, if they feel more secure around me, whatever else, I wear one. I don't care. That's fine. That's on me to decide that. But I wear the thing because I want to try and make it clear. This is not just to be worn as an excuse not to wear masks. Mm -hmm. That said, I never judge anyone I see wearing one, even though I go into Tesco and there's like 20 people wearing them. And I'm like, I just don't find it credible that there's this percentage of people who have a specific reason they can't wear a mask that suddenly need to wear one. It doesn't seem credible. But I wouldn't say to any individual because you know that you can't see. That's the whole point of this hidden disability. You can't see. You don't know their dog. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't like just judge them. So I try not to judge individuals, just people as a whole homogenous mass. I'm like, you're all twats, but I don't want to blame any particular one of you. But, uh, sorry, I'm on a bit of a tangent with it, but, but it's that <laughs> thing, I think there's that with all this autistic thing is that there's a tendency to be quite black and white about things and that's one of the areas where I've had to try to self-teach my self-teach myself <laughs> to as opposed um, to self-teaching teaching someone, someone else. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to teach myself to just hold back on on the black and white judgment of things and understand that my experience of the world is not your experience of the world is not someone else's is not like you know it, that everyone experiences the world in incredibly unique ways and it's not okay for me to just assume that everyone has to live to my standard and that is surprisingly difficult because. I, I didn't realise until it, I started looking more into autism and all the rest of it as I kind of went through my journey of discovering my path, was that being, being able to understand that people don't see the way the world the way you do, and I, don't, I mean just on a scientific level of you probably see orange different to the way I see orange and all that, you know, it's like your, your upbringing, your culture, your everything is so, so kind of like formative of who you become that... There's no way that we all see the world in the same way, you know. Like, I, I know people don't see the way the world either because I know that a lot of people don't know what it's like to have an autistic meltdown and have to power on through it because you've got the kids in the car and you've got to carry on with day and make out like nothing's wrong, you know. And, and there's a little side note because this is a mini rant of mine at the moment, <laughs> sorry. I know, very small tangent. But don't apologise, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Just a very small tangent is that one of my frustrations is when people use the term high-functioning autistic, because I get it used at me. A lot of people you know within various groups are both involved with it for and things like that. They're, they're a lot of high-functioning, high air quotes, people out there. Um, and I hate the term high-functioning because it implies you're mildly autistic. Or that there's some kind of like you're not like like you're not you're not like one of those kids that can't talk, but you're not you're not full on autistic. 
there are there are people who are non-verbal who actually function in many other ways quite well but they're just non-verbal there are people who are very severely autistic who they're non-verbal and they you know they, they're just stumped there are people who are like savant in some ways you know they, they're just incredibly hyper focused at certain things really good at it but but this term high functioning is is a it's a misnomer because it kind of implies mild autism and there's no such thing well there is it's called neurotypical that's what it is to be mildly <laughs> autistic because everyone has little traits yeah, yeah you know it frustrates me when people say oh i'm really ocd about this because it undervalues what it really means to be OCD. It's not, oh, you have a habit of you can't leave a light on in a room. No, if you can't stand 16 times turning the light switch on and off, and if you hit 17, you have to restart and do it again. If you don't scratch the skin off your arms because you're, like, so driven, that's OCD. Not being, like, a little bit... Sorry, rant within a rant. It's a <laughs> but back to the meta rant. <laughs> this term of being high-functioning, because... The way someone like me functions is that I've lived my entire life developing um, modifications and strategies to appear like a normal person. Because I'm not a normal person, I've had to accept this and I've had to really get to the root of it and realise I will never view the world. This is how it's right. <laughs> I'll never view the world how most neurotypical people do. I will never fully understand why some people need certain types of reassurance and encouragement when I just see things as a reality. You know, if I'm crap at cricket, I don't need someone to say, oh, but at least you tried. I'm like, yeah, I tried, I failed. I don't like cricket that much, so I'm not going to do it. You know, but it's but I don't need that kind of reassurance. Oh, well, I'm sure there's something else you're good at. Well, yeah, I'm incredibly good with the camera. Mm-hmm. I'm not arrogant, because I know that's a term that gets leveled at you, because you'll turn around and be like, no, I fucking know my shit about cameras. I don't know why I muted one swear word, not the other. <laughs> but there, I'll be like, no, I know my stuff. I know my stuff about composition. I know my stuff. But, but we, my old business partner, one of the things that made us work well together was we had a lot of complementary skills. And she knew that there were certain tasks she just left to me to get on with. And I knew that there were certain things, like dealing with humans, that <laughs> the I to do. She was my human translator. And she taught me a lot of my current coping strategies. Hmm. But this is the thing, is that when you say to somebody, you're a high-functioning autistic, what you're saying is, you are pulling a million switches and running a thousand processes to operate like a normal person does when they're relaxed. Mm. So to appear like a normal, relaxed person, I'm already swimming like fuck upstream, you know. So when they go into something that causes a bit of stress, and I go into something that causes a bit of stress, mine's on top of this stack of stuff that I'm already trying to do to function, which is why I try and do this thing of realise when a situation is going to put me to that I'm already running at full speed and that's just so I can appear normal. Like if I go to a networking event, most people go to networking, it's a bit of a social, they might even have a beer, you know, it's quite chill. When I go to a networking event, I'm dealing with the social phobia, I'm dealing with the fact that I've got to be careful I don't upset people by being a dickhead. (laughs) I'm dealing with the fact that like, I don't really want to be there because there's so much noise and there's so much going on that I can't process it all. I'm dealing with the fact that I have visual acuity issues, I'm dealing with... Like, yeah, I mean, you get past all the sensory problems and the processing problems and the social problems. I just don't get why people do some of the things they do. So I fake doing them just so that they don't feel uncomfortable when I sit there and go, well, I'm not laughing at that joke. It was shit. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, someone tells a really bad joke and I'm just like, yeah, it was all right. You know, when everyone else is like, oh, oh, that's really funny. Like, what? Oh, oh you're, you're making them feel better about their shit joke. <laughs> and all this, this processing well, Just so on. we're clear, you don't need to laugh at my bad jokes. Um, oh, no, I don't. I, no. Yeah, I, I, 
the people I live with don't, so... I, no I actually <laughs> live on dad jokes, so I'm not going to be one to throw stones, because, you know, jokes like, you know, uh, how did the guy who invented Umbrella come up with a name? Well, he was going to call it Brella, but he paused. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. <laughs> and I on that note, in your face. <laughs> on that note, we'll bring an end to, to this episode of the podcast. John, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. And I'll speak to you again some more soon. Yeah, no worries. <laughs>